the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Hey everybody, it's Jim, and this is the first episode of a six-part series that I recorded with a guy named Gary Falkowitz. For those of you who are not at MaxLawCon 2019 or don't know Gary, he really is an expert and a lawyer on law firm intake. He has a company that is dedicated solely to that purpose, and he really does an amazing job of helping lawyers turn leads into actual clients. And so this is something that my firm has struggled with. And you'll hear in the in the six episodes, which we recorded in the spring and summer of 2020, that I really struggled with letting go of a lot of the control when it came to leads, but that I was really serving once again as a bottleneck for our firm. And I think that you can hear in these early episodes, like the real anguish that I had in like, being too salesy or too uh, sales focused, you know, I just want to help everybody. And it really took a while for me to get my mind around the fact that I don't need to be on every consult. I don't need to do every intake call. And we now have built out a team to do that for us. And you're going to hear as the episodes progress, how things have changed at our firm over time. And I think that you'll get a whole lot out of it. I think that you'll see the struggles that a lawyer like me has in letting go of that stuff. But you also learn a lot of great lessons about the purpose of intake, about how we can help as many people as possible, about scaling up and um, really focusing on speed and immediate follow-up. So I'm really thrilled with the way things have turned out. I think you're going to like these episodes of the podcast and that you'll get a lot out of it. I would say to listen to these with some notes Uh, taking notes and making sure that you write down all your ideas because I think that you're going to have a ton of them. So towards the end, you're going to find out how you can get a hold of Gary. But if you need help from me, you can always find us in the big group, Maximum Lawyer, in our Facebook group. And then you can always email me at jim at maximumlawyer.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and let us know what you think. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. So we're here with Gary Falkowitz. Uh, He's got his New York Mets cup going for those of you that can see the video. And I've got my San Diego Padres hat on. I've not I've not changed my allegiances from my beloved Cardinals. But this is a reminder that eventually I'll be living in San Diego. That's why I wear this hat. (laughs) So anyway, Gary and I are embarking on a new adventure. 
he has a lot of interesting things going on in his business. And we've been talking back and forth about how he might help the hacking law practice and hopefully all of you do a better job with your lead conversion. And so I thought that before we got started, Gary, that you and I could just spend a little bit of time talking about your background. Hopefully a lot of people have read Wonderful. your book on intake, but that maybe you could talk a little bit about sort of how you ended up where you are now. And, you know, you've been on the podcast before, so if people want to deep dive, they can go back and listen to that. But just give the people a little summary of your experience with intake and with leads. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, excited to be uh, working with you again, for sure. I don't want to bore you or the listeners, but I'll give you the 30,000-foot view of uh, why we're having this conversation and how I got in the seat. I've been practicing. I'm an attorney. I've been practicing for about 15 years and I realized very early in my practice, I should say I was intrigued very early in my practice about the business of our industry, the business of law. It fast forward past my experience as an assistant district attorney in Brooklyn, New York, fast forward past my uh, uh, experience as a medical malpractice defense attorney uh, and jump right into when I was a, uh, an associate at Parker Wakeman, a national PI law firm in New York. It was there where my eyes opened to how the, specifically the personal injury world works, you know, but also the plaintiff civil world works in that uh, you had to spend a lot of money to make the phone ring uh, or to acquire leads. And there are a million different ways you could do that. You could do it organically. You can create your own brand. You can go on TV uh, or you could do it and use someone else's brand or use someone else's ability uh, to bring in leads, uh, whether it be digitally to you or via the phone. I realized that uh, A, it took money. B, it took creativity to do something a little bit different than what your competitors were doing. Speaking of competitors, I realized how competitive the industry was. I also realized how long law firms had to wait to actually earn a fee on the cases that they were investing money in, the campaigns they were investing money in. So you put that all together and it hit me like a ton of bricks that you needed to, and we as an industry needed to have the most efficient process to maximize the return of those marketing dollars, at the very least, at the outset of those campaigns. And when I say that, I'm talking about the intake side of things. And if you would have told me when I was in law school that somehow I would uh, be in a position where I wrote a book on intake, or I'd be consulting law firms on intake, or I'd be the owner uh, of, a, of an intake of a call center for law firms, I'd, I'd laugh at you because I'd have no idea what you were referring to. Uh, it's, a, it's amazing how life kind of figures things out for you as long as you stay the course and, and work hard. Uh, so jumping fast forward now from all that that I learned at Parker Wakeman's office, I jumped into consulting law firms on this process, on making sure that the money that they were spending on marketing was not being neglected or ignored or being handled in a careless fashion. And the reason I jumped into that is because I, I noticed that as an industry, that was an easy hole to fill. That was a, an obvious black hole within the industry. And it bothered me because all of us, by us, I mean attorneys, put ourselves through law school, went through that three years worth of fun, and had a nice big test at the end of it all. And yet we weren't necessarily prepared for the business that we were about to embark in. Some of us, some of us became employees and worked our way up in a big time company, which is wonderful and didn't necessarily need to understand the business side of things. But for those like yourself uh, who decided at some point, you know what, I could do this on my own. I understand the, the practice of law in a specific area. I wanted to make sure you also understood not to waste your money marketing 
and to feel good that uh, you had a very streamlined process uh, where accountability and checks and balances uh, were a top priority of yours. So I consulted a bunch of law firms nationwide. I still do. Ended up opening my own solo practice, ended up opening my own call center where law firms will outsource the intake to high volume campaigns. We've retained over 60,000 cases. We've worked with over 300 uh, law firms and I'm shoulder deep in this stuff. Uh, I love these conversations. I love being able to have a, you know, I'll say one other thing. I'll interrupt myself there for a moment. So much of what I say, you already know, Jim. Anyone watching this, you already know this stuff. What you need is you need, need some reassurance from an objective eye and an experienced eye that, yes, you've been thinking about doing something this way. Your competitors are doing it this way. Let me help you jump over that bridge to ensure that you begin doing it this way so that you go to sleep at night realizing, you know what? I'm not leaving a lot of money on the table. I am maximizing the return on those investments. And then what you do with those cases when they're signed and how you maximize the value of those cases that's up to you, but I will tell you that, uh, and we'll talk, we're, we're going to be talking for a little while here, and I'm excited to kind of show everybody, give them a little uh, taste of, uh, of how they can figure things out for themselves, and it's not a turnkey approach. Um, every law firm has created their own path that they're currently uh, going down, and, and I'm, what I'm hoping to do is sort of uh, make that path as smooth as possible without necessarily having to veer uh, off of it too much. So in a nutshell, that's what uh, that's why you and I are talking. I want to make sure I know from our previous conversations, A, you're spending money, B, you're getting a tremendous response, and C, at the end of the day, how much money you make is so dependent upon what you do immediately after you spend money marketing. So Gary, I was asked to speak to some elder lawyers for their regional conference last winter. And I stood up on stage and I asked people, you know, with a show of hands, let me know who has a system for just recording their leads. What percentage of people do you think raised their hand? Between 10 and 20%. That's exactly what it was. I was thinking it was right around 10%. And yeah. so that just boggles my mind. I mean, talk to, talk to us a little bit about, and we're going to dive into the hacking law practice and all of our stuff, but I think that there's some good mindset shifts that need to be happening at the beginning. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, why it's important. I know this sort of sounds obvious, but why is it important to have a system for keeping track of your leads? So before I answer that question, why don't I answer a question that I know you've asked, which is, why are they not? Why are right. they not recording their leads? And the answer, and I, I'm blunt. I'm a blunt guy. I tell you how I think it is. It doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean that's how it is. In my opinion, they're not recording their leads for the, for the following reasons. One, they don't think they need to because they're making money anyway, right? So why create a system that requires their attention, that they're not comfortable doing, that requires change if they're being successful, depending upon how they define that word, anyway? And I guess one of the challenges I have when I speak to law firms, the 80 to 90% of those law firms that don't record, one of the challenges I have is helping them redefine that success. You know, you cannot judge how good your company is by how much profit it's making. That would be silly, right? Any business should be defining how successful their business is doing based upon whether they're maximizing their profit and whether they have efficient processes in place so that they're actually reducing unnecessary expenses. So 
those law firms that are not recording are not recording because they never thought they had to and they're still making money. Why should they record? Because they're going to realize that the value in marketing is not based just upon the reason that the claimant is calling you in the first place, but rather, especially in this day and age, given how competitive it is, given how many more lawyers are coming into your market space, it's important you create a lasting impression that will allow you to continue to market and communicate and create a relationship with those folks, whether it be in a conventional or a sense of sending out an email marketing message or through social media and letting them know how valuable your law firm is within the market, right, within uh, your specific city. That all adds up to them potentially calling you again in the future when they may have a qualified case. We cannot look at our business from a uh, a shallow or short-term perspective. We can't have, I remember, and I would hear this, and I didn't know this back then, but I would hear, oh, claimant called, had a terrible case, hung up quickly, right? And I can understand why the initial response for someone that's not in the industry completely forgets about that claimant and never thinks need to reach out to that claimant again. I will tell you, over the long haul, after listening to all of the calls I've listened to, both on behalf of law firms I've worked with and other law firms, you will have people who call up and say, this is the third time I'm calling. You couldn't help me two times, but I created such a wonderful relationship with your law firm. And I noticed how prevalent you are on Facebook or on social media, or I saw you on TV. And I decided now I think I really have a case. I'm going to give you a call. That is so valuable, right? That's not, it's not necessary for that person to see a whole new advertisement from a new law firm to consider them. Rather, in their mind, there was this bank of experiences that they had a little at a time, whether it was the first conversation, the follow-up message, the social media post that you're putting out there where they said, you know what, if I need somebody, I got to call Jim because he obviously is all over the place. And I'll say one last thing about this. When you put yourself out there, and I'm not a marketing guru at all, but I work with marketers and I have for a while. When you put yourself out there from a brand perspective, often what the claimant believes, it's like seeing a Verizon billboard. You ever drive down a highway and just see a billboard that says Verizon? That's all it says, Verizon. I've done it. And and at first I was like, really? And then I realized all they're doing is building in my mind that they're a strong company. They're all over the place. It's a reminder to me that if I don't currently currently have Verizon and I'm unhappy with my current service, I got to call Verizon because they're obviously crushing it. They're all over the place. They're spending money marketing. And that's really important. Uh, and that goes the same with that claimant we just rejected. If we recorded those leads, we have the ability, especially in this day and age, we can go follow them on Facebook. We could remark on something they're doing. They could remark on us. They could follow us. We could ask them to follow us on Facebook. So to answer your question, it's just a shallow-minded approach. And I promise you those law firms that that are not recording their leads are not thinking two, three, four, five years ahead and are unfortunately putting themselves in a position uh, of uh, likely failing sooner rather than later. All right. So one last mindset thing before we start to dig in and get started. And you just... You raise it again in your last comment, and you've certainly said it in your book, and you said it at MaxLawCon last year, and that is how the enemy of greatness is doing good enough, right? That so so often we just accept that we're doing okay, no real reason to look at the funnel, no real reason to look at our leads, no real reason to look at our conversion. Now, interestingly, with this current 
medical situation that we find ourselves in across the country, I think a lot of people are probably going to start kicking themselves for the leads that they've lost and looking at this a whole lot harder than they used to be, not just because of the money that they're spending, but more so about the leads that they're, the opportunities that they're missing out on. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks so much. And that may have been a, uh, an alley-oop, so I appreciate that. But It was. It was good. So um, a tremendous pitfall in our industry uh, is that um, law firms only want to sign cases that are certain to have value. So what they do is they do this investigation before the case even gets retained, and they have their 40 questions, right? And I've seen them. I looked at one this morning, yesterday, two different ones, and they have these 40 questions because they don't want to waste their resources after that case is retained on investigation. They want a case where they could say 99% of the cases we sign are resolved for a fee. Well, yeah, but you're talking, what about the 5,000 cases you left on the table that could have resolved for a fee? And a big problem we have is, and I hate to say it this way, we don't want to put in the legwork. We don't want to, quote, fail or do some work after the fact for what might be considered a waste of our resources. I promise you guys, if you don't watch any more of this back and forth that you and I are going to have, please go back to your office and loosen up your criteria to sign that case. Please, because in my, in my book, I say it is better to investigate, it is better to retain than investigate, then investigate, then retain. Because it's always okay if we all put in our retainers, as we should, that we will sign a case and that we have an investigative period, whether it be 30 days, 60 days, 90 And we explain in that retainer, as we should, that if there comes a point where we realize we can't assist you, we have the ability to reject you as a claimant. We should all have that in there. It protects us. The claimant is aware of that. We can't make any promises because we retain a case, we're somehow guaranteeing them a, a successful resolution. So if you have that protection in your retainer, what you should be doing is keeping that intake as basic as possible so that you can maximize the number of cases you retain and also maximize the number of cases you're going to resolve for a fee. I'll say one little tidbit about that, which is really important. If I'm a claimant, I have options. I have many. I speak with three law firms. And I call you on my lunch break. And your law firm is the one that wants me to go through 30 questions on a telephone. And another law firm is willing to ask me six or seven questions on the telephone and let me know whether I qualify. I promise you, out of abundance of wanting to be efficient with my time and not waste my time, I'm likely going with a firm that is asking fewer the fewer questions. And here's what's the crazy part about this. It could be a no-name law firm. The law firm can have absolutely no experience. They can have absolutely no track record of being great at whatever the reason they're calling for. They want ease. They want reassurance. They want to know whether they qualify, and they want it as fast as possible. And I'm sorry, for those of you who have been practicing for 30 or 40 years, okay, and, and you say to me, come on, Gary, that's not true. They want to know that I tried 15 cases last year, all to verdict, for X amount of dollars. No, they like to hear that. They Maybe they want to see that in a commercial. Maybe that will get them to pick up the telephone to call you. But when they call you, they just want to know, do I qualify? And if I qualify, how, to become, how do I become a client? And how much is it going to cost me? That's it. Hey, guys, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. 
That's because we're seeing some really exciting things happening with guild members and their businesses. The guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Inside, you'll gain support, tap into a network of connections, and continue learning, a common theme among successful entrepreneurs. There are so many benefits inside the guild, including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the guild to check out all of the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. Investing in a community is like the self-care of business ownership. Being in a community with other people who get it is crucial when you're creating a rock-solid foundation to build your business on, one that's strong enough to withstand setbacks, transitions, and growth. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode. All right, so we could go on on this all day long, and we'll touch on a lot of these topics. But to get going, I want what I thought we could do is I had sent you before, and I'll pull it up here on the screen in a minute. And just so everybody knows, this is as real as it gets. I'm going to show you my real numbers for the last 12 months. And I so I I looked at the leads from March 1st, 2019, to the end of February 2020, and I'm going to share them here with Gary, and thereby share them with you. Um, you want to just quickly multiply by three in every number? Why? Make it oh. look even better. No, no, we're going to go with the real numbers here. Hold <laughs> on. Here we go. All right, so I tried to zoom in as much as I could. Okay. I'm going to here see if go. I could also make it larger on my end, which I think it can. So we use right now, we're currently using Lead Docket, although I think we're migrating out of Lead Docket here pretty soon. But for now, any contact that comes in that's not that the – so we have our phones are answered by Smith AI, right? So that's an outside phone service that does all of our answering. And they screen out the ones that are obviously sales calls. But even with that, we're getting uh, 11,287 were entered into our system. And then our team just does some sorting and qualified those. And there were 7,378 actual leads, people that we would want to do business with. Want to stop there for a sec? Yeah, sure. Okay, so tell me the distinction between the eleven thousand and seventy three hundred. Those other four thousand cases or so, what where where do they fall? Most of them are duplicates, and then some of them are outside our practice areas. Okay, um, let's stop there. The ones that are outside your practice areas, are you considering them as referrals for other law firms? We have no system for such. Okay, so let's can we stop there? Can I can I keep doing this or no? You go for it, brother. All right. So our industry is losing the um I'm going to stop saying our industry. I'm going to say we. Uh, I'm a part of this group. We are forgetting about how valuable referrals are. I've worked with and I know law firms that are making multiple millions of dollars per year on referrals, and they're not even marketing for cases to refer out. It just happens to be a benefit to all their branding. Most of us honor referral fees. Uh, Most of us are willing to take on joint exposure, joint uh, responsibilities. Uh, The reality is most of us are not even being asked to participate in those joint responsibilities. When you create a brand for yourself, uh, law firms begin to look at you as a solution to things that are more than what you're marketing yourself for. They they look at you as their lawyer. Their lawyer could be their family lawyer, their divorce lawyer, their personal injury lawyer, their immigration lawyer, their tax lawyer. doesn't matter. That's what they're looking to you as. And I promise you, there are law firms that are focusing on that exact case type that you cannot assist with and that would love to honor a third, sometimes even more. And if it's less, it's less of a referral fee. We need a system in place whereby our intake team is reviewing. And let's go, let's go gold standard for a second, Jim. 
Gold standard is the person you have picking up that telephone call already knows, based upon the case type, which law firm to send that case to, likely through a warm transfer telephone call. And that's go silver or bronze. An email goes out to that law firm. You already have a joint co-counsel relationship that you set up previously, and they're aware of the fact that leads or referral leads are coming in. And then you have this whole follow-up process in place. So I promise you, if you know those 4,000 leads, without knowing anything else about your business, I guarantee you there are 100 cases in there that could have been referred out and retained where you might be getting a referral fee or rehab. That's a great perspective, and I'd love to get to that gold standard. You know, the interesting thing is for me with the Maximum Lawyer Group and the podcast is that, you know, we're immigration firms, so we get contacts from all over the country. Yes, And do. we've done nothing to say, hey, oh, by the way, if you're in a car accident, we can't help you, but we know someone who can in your area. Because I, in Maximum Lawyer, I know a personal injury lawyer in almost every state, right? In almost every city. I, I Of course you do. And I guarantee after people see this, you're going to get an email. Hey, Jim, uh, if, you, if you need this, please, we can help you. I guarantee it. Right. So, I mean, right. let's let's set something up for you. You might even want to create something in Maximum Lawyer. People, well, That's a whole other conversation. But the yeah. point is you have those relationships that are at your fingertips uh, and by you know, if you focused one hour on this, and I'm not asking you to right now, you might have ten or twelve relationships that you already set up immediately. But we could talk about that another time as well. Yeah, that's great. All right. So, and then, and this is why I wanted to do real world examples because I wanted to see the things that you spot that I don't necessarily spot. I mean, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, I should get more referrals, but it's a totally different thing to get an expert on and to be thinking it through from a high level. Yeah. All right. So when we get then, so of those, this is your, your art. And I want you to give it to me straight, Gary. Like if, if we were doing a real console, then we sort of are, you know, we had 7,300, 7,400 leads last year and we had about 1,400 consults. So that's 18% of the people that we wanted to do business with actually scheduled a consult with us. Okay. So let's, now we got to, we got to define some of this for the audience and for myself. 1,400 okay. people wanted to do, of those 7,300 leads, do we know how many of them would have, would have met our criteria to sign as a client? So let's talk about that, because one of the things that really stuck out to me in your book was that mostly we do a bad job of empowering our team to properly filter leads that we, people that we would want to do business with. And so Gary, I can't tell you that answer because I don't do a good job of filtering that. I mean, anecdotally and based on my experience, I would say that 30% of those we would really, really, really want to do business with. And then the next maybe 40 or 50, we would probably maybe want to do business with, if that makes sense. That's as good as I can get. Okay. So before we talk about of those 30 or 40 or 50% that we actually sign and what the consults are, Let's talk about creating a system, Jim, whereby when that lead gets into your office, and I know from previous conversations that it's not just Smith AI, you have multiple paths by which claimants will contact you and reach out to you about a potential case. Is that right? That is correct. You're right about that. Okay. So then we need to figure out whereby our first contact with the claimant not by the time, not their first contact with us, because if they if they send us a digital lead, we may not be able to immediately uh, determine whether they qualify for retention. But our first contact with them, which by the way could totally be a phone call, we need to qualify or disqualify that call or that lead 
on that first contact. That's the goal. And this is for everyone out there. I don't care whether you're using Smith AI, whether you're using another answering service, whether you're using my company, ICE, whether you're using your own intake specialists. You need to empower those people that are speaking with the claimant to make a decision as to whether it qualifies. Now, that does not mean that they get to make, to create the criteria of what qualifies and what doesn't. We've got to train them. We've got to give them those weapons, if you will, the the questions, what to answer, or, or based upon the answer that's provided, to determine whether this does qualify for representation and it doesn't. And remember, I'm gonna repeat myself, by the way, because I do believe that's the best way to teach. That's how I learned. Remember that your standard of qualification should be, could this be something that we will resolve for a fee? Not, will this be something that we will resolve for a fee. You gotta open it up a little bit, give yourself the opportunity to to do a little work and, and maximize the return of your marketing dollars rather than just signing the definites. There, you know, it's so funny, Jim, and I'm sure you see it in your practice. Every lawyer you speak with, I love to say to them, hey, was there ever a case that you signed, you just weren't sure whether it was gonna be something or not, and you ended up getting a significant uh, fee in that case? And every time the answer is yes. Every time it's like, actually, our biggest case <laughs> was a case we weren't sure uh, whether we should sign or not, right? So there, there's so much value in signing a, a lead that could be, could result in a fee rather than will result in a fee. So we've got to get you, Jim, in a position, and we can talk about all the different paths. Let's start, let's start with Smith AI. Right, that's your call center. We've got to give them the questions that they need to ask so that you know for, and I'll go one step further, so that you know when the lead comes to you whether it qualifies or not. And I'm going to go one step further here. If it does qualify, Jim, we should be in a position where Smith AI warm transfer that warm transfers that call to someone in our office because we know that's worth our time. Now, the the trick for you is, and it's different for every law firm, is how can I create a list of questions that are manageable so that Smith AI in their seven to ten questions. And that's got to be your range, guys. Claimants are not going to be patient for 25 questions. They're just not. They're going to be turned off. So if I could somehow, within seven to 10 questions, figure out whether this is worth someone someone internally, the time of someone internally on my team, um, I've got to do that. So you got to make sure that you, they're asking the questions that you want them to ask. And, and by the way, that changes a lot over time. Uh, the criteria changes. The law changes. So you have to keep an eye on what that is. So that's the first thing that you should probably focus on. I was going to say, I think maybe I might I might just run past you real quick so the listeners or the viewers understand that the way that we do it is that the intake comes in and then the team is supposed to try to see if they want to schedule a consult. We charge $100 for our consult and that's sort of our, that has been our main filter. But then this determination as to whether or not they have a case, Gary, you're going to probably cough, is done by an attorney during that consult, right? That's really where the, and, and, and we like to think, well, immigration is so complicated and so a lot of times the immigrants don't even understand what their own issues are so that it needs to be done at that sort of higher level of analysis. And so I think that we really have an opportunity there. I think you're probably right. If we can figure out a way to sift and sort without just using the consult as a filter, because right now we're just getting name, address, phone number, email, and then what, what's your general issue? And do you want to schedule a consult? That's really what Smith does. 
Yeah. So, um, Jim, I got to ask you, and you should definitely call your competitors on this one. Uh, what about your competitor that says, uh, and I'm not trying to, and I'm not trying to take that hundred dollars away, but I just want, I want to make sure you realize. What about your competitor that tells a claimant on the telephone, "Hey, based upon what you just told me, this is something we can help you out with, and I don't need to meet with you in person. You don't have to sign a hundred dollars. I want to sign you right now, right now on the telephone electronically, and I'll confirm that you signed it." What about that competitor? Does that exist? I mean, I know it exists. Do you know that exists? I don't know if in immigration it does. I think they would clean our clocks, though. I think you're right. They okay, so forget, and, I, and I'm not here to, to, to take money out of your pocket. So forget the hundred dollar per, uh, you know, per sign. Well, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't care about the hundred dollars. The hundred dollars is just a filter. You know. Yeah. Well, the problem with the hundred dollar filter um, is that you may have some real valuable cases out there that decide against going with your firm because they have to put a hundred dollars up. What about all the people who just want free advice? Yeah, well, that's well, that's part of our qualification questions, right? Are you okay. looking to retain a lawyer? Let's go through your. There, there should be. I can. We could go through those questions together. It's going to start with you, and then I'll help you uh, wordsmith those questions a little bit better. But look at this. You're only getting thirteen, eight, nineteen percent of the people that you're offering a consult to are coming. So eight, more than eighty percent of the people that you're offering a consult to are saying, "Forget Jim." Now, what percent of those 80 people are going somewhere else because they didn't require an in-person consult? Oh, by the way, we're having this conversation during the coronavirus uh, pandemic right now. So nobody wants an in-person meeting or an in-person consult. And I'm sure you guys might be doing Skype consults. I'm sure you've advanced yourself or you're not. I'm sure you're considering it. But the point no, is, um, we don't want to push them away before we even know whether we can help. Right. We got to yeah, we got to come up with a list of questions, Jim. That basically, and it starts with you, but a list of questions whereby you can ask, "Hey, are you looking to retain a lawyer? Are you?" And you can even ask in there, "Would you retain a lawyer if there was a hundred dollar fee?" Let's just get that answer. Maybe they say yes. Maybe they say no. It's not necessarily a disqualifier if they say no. Uh, I'm sure you have other questions that you might ask. Say, "Why do you think you need an immigration attorney?" Here are the following choices. Here are the following reasons that claimants usually hire an immigration attorney whereby someone like me, do you fit in any of these categories? And they might say no, and then boom, you feel better about pushing them away. And I know one of your fears, when you first created this, Jim, obviously one of your fears was, I want to consult with everybody because everybody might have a case and I don't want to push them away. But the complete opposite happened here. I want to consult with everybody, so let's schedule it. But only 20% of the people said, okay, let's do it. That doesn't mean the other 80% don't have a case. It means, you want to know what it really means? If they called you, the majority of the people of the 80% went with somebody else if they have a case. Well, I think my biggest competitor is actually people doing it on their own. So, you know, you okay. can't really, that, that's really what I think where our competitor is. But I, 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 I get We're not what you're doing saying. it at all, right? Sure, sure. I get what you're saying, but the, the $100 was not to make me $100 for 25 minutes of my time. The $100 was to try to kick out the tire kickers versus the ones who actually were thinking about hiring an attorney. But we never asked that question. We just said it's $100 to talk to the lawyer. Yeah, I think you're scaring people away, quite frankly. I think that uh, we have to reconsider that. I'll also go one step further. I think that the, let me ask you a question. How much legal work is done at the consult? How much of that work needs to be done by an attorney? Well, I think that if we had better questionnaires that non-lawyers could sift and sort, I think that if we're charging for the consult, then people expect legal answers. 
And if we didn't charge for the consult, we wouldn't have to give legal answers. And, and then, or like, it, to me, it seems like we need a filter before the consult. Like, not all consults are created equally. There's people that pay $100 to just want to ask questions and then go file it themselves. And there's people who want to pay $100 and it's almost slowing them down from hiring us. I've had that sort of both ends of that spectrum. I'd be interested in knowing, and I think the, the, the result is going to be a positive one. I'd be interested in, in doing a better job at the first step of your process at okay. breaking down the reasons for the calls, the interest level of the caller, and whether they are, in fact, just looking for guidance, uh, just looking for answers to their questions, or whether they're actually looking for a lawyer to do this for them so they don't F it up, right? So they don't do right. something wrong because it's a pretty important moment in their lives. Uh, which is something I'm sure you've been communicating to them through all your marketing messages. Um, so let's start there. We're going to have to look at your current dialogue with Smith AI. I, and I'm going to give you homework first because it's not something okay. you have to do necessarily uh, on this call. But I'm yeah. going to give you homework. And I, what I want you to do is I, I want you to create a list of questions, under 10 questions, that would be ideal for a non-lawyer, for Jim, the the non-lawyer, would ask to determine whether it's worth your law firm's time to begin an investigation on this claimant's behalf. Mm -hmm. And then you and I will work on potentially changing AI's script so that uh, we're no longer leaving, because you're leaving money on the table. We all are. So this is not, you're not, we're all doing, yeah. we could all be doing better. I could be doing a lot of things much better. But I can promise you that right now we have a hole, you have a hole in your system because there are people who are thinking the following. One, I really wanted to get this over with on this phone call, and now this guy is making me schedule another opportunity to get my questions answered. And quite frankly, I have my son's football game or this movie on or my husband's this or my wife's this, and I'm just not going to make that consult. You're losing people for that reason. You're losing people because they're saying $100. I just spoke with another lawyer who basically gave me all my answers. Why am I paying $100 to Jim to give me these answers? Number three... How come the person I just spoke with wasn't able to help me? How come I have to now go, how come that person was really like a receptionist and now I got to go have another conference call, another meeting with somebody? I don't have patience for that. So right off the bat, forget about the, 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 the subject matter or the value of that claimant's case. They're already uncomfortable and impatient with the process that you provided to them and they're walking away from you. And that's, that's a hole in your bucket. For sure. It sounds like a big one. An eighty percent, an eighty percent big hole. Okay, so we fix it. We fix it, and and what we do is we change the whole process here. Uh, we define consults as people who actually met a basic criteria, uh, because assuming we start to change the process, and then you get a better sense. And this is, I'm glad we get to talk about this for a moment. And you can stop me at any time, Jim, because I do not want to veer off here for you. No, this uh, is just what I want to be doing. Awesome. For any law firm, you need to know. A few things if you're spending money marketing. You need to know, one, what percent of my leads are qualifying for representation? And when I say representation, guys, I really want you to start also using the term investigation. I don't want you to equate representation with guaranteed to earn a fee. I want representation to be the equivalent of worthy of my time to investigate to determine whether there will be a fee. Okay, now, so the first thing you need to know is what percent of my leads qualify for representation? That tells you how good your marketing is. 
for some law firms that I've consulted with that are very successful, because it changes for everybody, but some law firms that are very successful, it's around 10%. 10% of the leads they get in qualify for representation. There are some other law firms that are up towards 30 or 40%, which is ridiculously high. And which is likely, by the way, because their criteria is way too loose. So they're taking care, they want to take everything in. So I'm not going to tell you what it should be because it really depends upon uh, your, your the type of case you want in and, and what your criteria is. So that's the first statistic. The second statistic is your conversion percentage. When I define and use the term conversion percentage, what I'm referring to is of all those cases that qualify, of all those cases that I wanted signed, of all those cases that I acted on to try to get that claimant to sign a retainer, something as simple as scheduling appointment or sending out an electronic retainer. As long as I wanted it and I did some action to try to get that person to to sign a retainer, that's the proof that I wanted that case. What percent of those qualified, of those wanted cases, did I sign? And that tells you how good your internal intake process is. Is it 50% of what I wanted I signed? I've I've been with law firms that low as low as forty percent. Was it as high as ninety seven or ninety eight percent? I I work with law firms that are signing four hundred cases a month, and they're at a ninety eight percent conversion rate, which wow. is crazy high. Let me define that for you differently. They're signing four hundred cases, and they only wanted four hundred and eight. So they signed four hundred of the four hundred eight cases they wanted. That's what I'm I, I've worked with. Right. But now let's talk about what it could be and what it should be. I know for personal injury law firms, if it's local auto accident cases, it should be in the 90 percentile, 90 plus percentile. No doubt about it. For mass torts, if you're doing it yourself, it's likely in the 50 to 60 percentile and it should be closer to 75 or 80 percent. For immigration, I don't know where yours should be yet, Jim. I don't know if you know where it should be. What I do know is that you don't know what it is right now. And we got to get you to the point where you at least know what it is. And that's for everybody out there. Forget about where it should be. Let's get a baseline. What is it? What is it currently for your law firm? You want to leave right now, hang up or click leaving meeting? Go for it. Go find out what your current conversion rate is. Find out what your current uh, qualified rate is. That'll open your mind to what's going on in your firm. Well, I think this might be a good resting point for this episode. What do you think? I mean, I think this, I mean, I have homework to do now. I can't wait to show this to my wife who I practice with and my office manager. I think that they're going to, like, my wife is the one who actually came up with that $100 consult, and we all, and and we've been glad to have it because it's truly the only filter we've had, but it's because we haven't done that work that you say we need to do to allow others to do the qualifying for us. Exactly. That's exactly, and and I understand why she created that, very smart woman. She wanted to have serious uh, potential clients. She wanted people who are serious to come in. And if you're willing to pay $100, you're likely serious. Totally get that. The problem with that could be that you can have many serious claimants who either A, had an option where they didn't have to pay $100, uh, or B, were really scared about that $100, didn't have that money. And now we lost a potentially valuable claimant. Uh, And by the way, Jim, and I know you know this, but let me just say it a different way. Think about all those claimants. Like that's there's 80% of the people that you spoke with that you left a bad taste in their mouth with, right? They didn't even come to the consult with. And that you hate that. I know you as a person, you are a personable, likable human being who understands the value of relationships. That is great. It's wonderful. You're not necessarily conveying that to all these people who are reaching out to you because for whatever reason, 
You're scaring them away right now. And we got to do better at that. We have to have a lasting impression. And I agree. Let me throw out one more thing for you, Gary, and then we'll close with this. Yeah. For the personal injury firms that you work with, in order to sign someone up or in order to have someone be your client, they don't have the, the client doesn't have to pay any money. If someone's going to hire us, they're going to be paying. I'm sure and I know you work with non-contingency fee firms. Is there a, should there be a different mindset between the two, between people that sign a contingency fee versus people that are actually going to be writing out a check to your law firm for doing work? No, um, it's easier for a personal injury lawyer to sign somebody on the first call without asking for their credit card information or asking for a check or, or, or meeting them. But here's the thing. If a claimant knows that they have a claim and a law firm tells them that they did the right thing by calling and they're sold that they did the right thing by calling and we answer their questions and we give them the easiest process to move forward, then they're also going to realize that the cost associated with signing with you is going to be the same as any other law firm. And they're going to be willing to do that. And I think what you, you don't lose them on the cost so much. Um, you lose them because we're unable to get them we're unable to get them to the point of realizing they did the right thing by calling and this law firm can help. You can always massage the situation about how much it is and how they can pay and when they can pay. Let's get them to the point where they're at least having that conversation with you. And we're not getting there for so many people because we're scaring them either from with the current process or the current setup. Perfect. All right. With that, we'll close. We'll see everybody next week. Gary, thanks so much. That was really helpful for me. And I think it's probably going to be helpful for everybody who's watching. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Appreciate this, Jim. This was excellent. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.